You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Today we we finalize a three-week series on the book of Philemon. And and I want you to imagine, just for a moment, I want you to imagine uh, being an outlaw, uh, running for your life, being a being a fugitive, uh, hiding from, from shadow to shadow. Uh, you're a wanted man, a wanted woman, and there's a bounty on your head. That means somebody is, is trying to chase you down. Professionals that are, are just waiting to catch you because you are a thief and you are a runaway slave. Now, if you were caught, they would beat you, they would brand you, and they would drag you back home. The book of Philemon was written so that none of that would have to happen. Now, I want to clarify for some of you that may not know that the that slavery in the Roman Empire is not what you think of slavery. When you think of slavery, you might think of some, you know, Lincoln or something like that. Slavery in the Roman Empire was not a racial thing. It was uh, purely either by force or by choice because a lot of people were forced into slavery, but it was only for a season, 10 to 12 or 20 years. And there was also by choice where people would submit themselves to an authority or to a leader to pay off a debt, to pay off their taxes or to develop a skill. We don't know the circumstance under this character that we're looking at today. But one of those guys was a guy named Philemon, whose name means kind, because he was a kind and generous master. And he was a, not a pastor, but he was a host of a house church that met in his home in the city of Colossae. And he had a slave that when his back was turned, robbed him blind and ran off to Rome. This guy's name was Onesimus. He was a ungrateful kind of, well, he was a bad slave and put it that way, but he ran into an unlikely person because when he got to Rome thinking he would blend in, God divinely had his path cross the path of an apostle who was in prison. A friendship developed and Paul, that apostle led Onesimus to Jesus Christ. Three people, each at one time running from God, now, by God's grace, had been intervened on. Now, Paul tells Onesimus, time to stop running. Time to face the music. Time to face your sin. Time to go back to your master, because guess what? I led him to Christ too. And here, here's a letter. Give this to him. This might soften the blow. So Onesimus takes the thousand-mile trip back home knocks on the door, and as he is standing there, this small little, for us, 25 verses, the Bible wasn't written by verses. They were added just over the last few hundred years. Originally, they were just letters. They were written without chapters, without verses, and they weren't books. They were letters, and this little tiny letter, more like a postcard, was handed to Philemon, written by Paul, hand-delivered by Onesimus, Paul deliberately and delicately begins to deal with this issue. And his heart is poured out in these 25 verses. Philemon is reading it on the spot, looking at Onesimus. And the first seven verses, Paul says, I love you. I'm thankful for you. Man, you are an encouragement to my life. He just says, you know what? I've heard a lot about you, about you hosting your house. How the, the kingdom is better because of you. Thank you, man. You are a blessing. And then he says, therefore, because... You're such a blessing. And because you listen to God, I want you to heed my heart here. And he says, there's a man standing before you. His name is Onesimus. And you know him well because he robbed you and he ran away from you. 
And I want you now to accept him, not as a slave, but as a friend, not as just a man, but as a brother in Christ. And he begins to challenge him and talk to him. And Onesimus, is, he says, left useless, but he returned useful. He left a slave, but he returns a brother. In fact, the name Onesimus means useful or profitable or someone who, is, who does something worth of value. He left without value and he met Jesus and he became back as someone who is of value. And we're going to pick up at verse 15. He says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you was... For this very reason, for a little while, so that you might have him back forever. He says, I I want you to just stop. I want you to think back. Look at everything. Maybe it was for this reason that God allowed him to rob you blind. And all that heartache and all that trouble. Maybe it was for this reason that he left you so that he could come back as a brother. He brought you to this moment. Verse 16, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So I want you to realize this was counterculture to everything Philemon knew. He was a wealthy businessman and he owned and had slaves, whether they were by force or by choice, we don't know. But Philemon was a kind man. He was a good man. And he loved these people. And in Roman history, oftentimes the master would even leave their portions of their estate to their slaves because they became like family. And Philemon was one of those type of guys who, who hired and brought on these indentured servants for a season to train them and then to free them. But here stands before him someone who had to be disciplined. He's reading this letter and in front of him, With all of his associates, word getting out that this runaway slave had come back. Philemon was faced with a choice of how he was going to respond. He's like, I'm sure he's reading this letter going, great. Now I have to respond to this. Now I have to be nice to him. This changed everything about the relationship. This was going to take a complete change of perspective for Phil. Philemon was being encouraged by his spiritual friend and father, Paul to take a challenging and potential controversial step towards faith. So that's where we left off last week. Let's dive right in with verse 17, Paul's most powerful, persuasive plea to Philemon. Here we go, verse 17. So if you, like, so if you, if we're friends, so if you consider me a partner, if we're friends, I have a favor for you. That's today's message. I have a favor. And This is the only recorded request and favor from Paul in the entire Bible. It is a little little note, just a tiny little postcard type note that is a favor. He says, if we're friends, if we're partners, if you believe in me as a leader in your life, he says, welcome him as you would welcome me. Now, hold on a second. As you would me. You want me to welcome him like I would welcome you, my my spiritual father, my apostle, my leader, the guy who led me to Christ. You want me to welcome this runaway slave, this guy who robbed me blind and cost me thousands and thousands of dollars. You want me, Paul, to welcome him like I would welcome you. Think about it. How would they have welcomed Paul? Well, they might have had a big dinner, had a big celebration, giving him the best bed in the house, giving him the the best seat at the table, 
They would have treated him with kindness and respect. They would have served him. And he says, I want you to welcome him like you would welcome me, like a treasured guest. Receive him into full fellowship. He is family now. Paul then lays out the plan. Verse 18, he says, if he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Some translations say, charge it to my account. You see, plaguing Onesimus was a massive bill that he could not pay. He had robbed his master Philemon blind, and then he pawned it all, and then he ran off and squandered it all. He comes back with nothing on his body except the clothes he's wearing. And not only did he rob Philemon, but the time that he was gone, the wages lost, the work lost, the time lost, and he had to hire and to bring on people to replace all that Onesimus had abandoned him with. It might have been a massive, massive amount that Onesimus had no ability to pay. This was a debt he could not pay. This was an amount that he could not return. Someone had to pay. Someone is going to pay. Well, Paul says, I'll pay it. Put it on my account. You see, in ancient culture, this was a legal IOU. This was a note of indebtedness. This letter was as good as cash to Philemon to prove to others that Onesimus was paid up and justice had been served and the debt was satisfied. Notice that he did not say forgive the debt. He didn't say, you know, just between you and me, uh, Philemon, you know, God is good. You know, look what it, it brought him to Christ. Let's just call it even and just, let's just, just forgive the debt. He didn't say, just act like it's not there. He knew that justice must be paid in order for there to be grace and forgiveness. So Paul said, I'll take the debt. I will take it. Charge it to me. Because it was just. Verse 19, he says, this is interesting. He says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Now, I want you to realize it was, it was known uh, that Paul, it was believed, had, had poor eyesight and that he never wrote any of his letters. There's only two places where he mentions that he writes uh, anything. And that's right here where he says, this portion of this letter is what he's literally saying. This portion I'm writing with my own hand. It says he's in change and he says, hey, come here. He dictated everything. He did it again in Galatians. There's a certain part where he was so intense about what he was saying. He's like, give it, give it, give it, give it, give it to me. And he's in that part of the letter, the font changes, the handwriting changes. And all of a sudden it looks different. And this little tiny note, there's a section where Paul says, I will pay it back. Paul says, you got my signature on it. I'm writing with my own hand. This is not somebody else telling you this. This is a legal note of tender, a legal IOU. Paul, in my own hand, I will pay for it. He hands it back to his dictator or the person, (laughs) dictator, the person who's writing. And Paul begins to tell him what else to write. And he says, not to mention that you owe me your very self. He says, don't forget you owe me your soul. He says, you were going to hell and now you're not. (laughs) Serious drive-by guilt trip. You know what I'm saying? 
It's like, I'm not, earlier in the verses last week, he says, I'm not trying to pressure you. I want you to do this out of your own desire. I'm not going to tell you what to do. He says, I'm not going to uh, legislate it. I'm going to motivate it. He says, I'm not going to force you to do something. But then he says, but remember, um, he says in the la- last week, he says, remember, I'm your father in the faith and I'm an old man and I'm in chains. And then he says, and you'd be going to hell if it weren't for me, but it's your choice. It's your choice. How can anybody not respond after something like this? Verse 20, he goes, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit. This is interesting because the word benefit there is the word Onesimus. It's the word useful. It's the word profitable, which is the name of Onesimus, which is Paul was weaving in the very name of Onesimus all through this letter. He says, uh, that I may have some Onesimus, some usefulness, some profitability from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. He says, man, I want to know, I want to hear that what you're going to do is going to be good. He says, I'm confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. He says, I believe in you. I know you're going to do the right thing and more. Verse 22, he says, one thing more. This is where he wraps up the letter. He says, one thing more. Prepare a guest room because I hope to be restored to you and answer to your prayers. He says, treat them like me. And oh, by the way, I'm coming. And when I'm coming, you know how you're going to treat me? The way you treated him. Because I asked you to treat him the way you treat me. So even then, he's, he's not only just the eternal optimist because he always was right, man, I'm hoping to come. I'm believing I'm coming. But he was reminding him, remember how I said treat him like me? Well, I'm coming. So I'm going to find out if you really did. And then he says, um, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. By the way, that guy, Epaphras, was the pastor a pastor of the church that met in his house. He was going to Paul to get the lowdown on some troubles and just to get encouragement, and uh, he ends up in prison too. So now they have no pastor and they send back a guy with Onesimus. And in the book of Colossians, which is the letter that he also sent back with Onesimus, he challenges, this is kind of cool. He challenges Philemon's son to step up to the plate and preach. So he says, well, your pastor says, yo. Um, And then he says, and so do Mark. That's the same guy who wrote the gospel of Mark. His name is John Mark. He's the cousin to Barnabas. And he says, uh, Articidus, that's a cool name. Uh, Damas and Luke, and Luke's also the guy who wrote the gospel of Luke. Uh, He goes, my fellow workers. Uh, What I like about this is that he was not a one-man band. He always rolled with his boys. Uh, He was always delegating. He always gave credit to the team that all made it happen. I want to tell you something. You know, if there's anything good in Living Way, it's not because of me. It's because of Christ working in a team of people. You know, we have a a beautiful worship team, don't we? Man, aren't they awesome? I love our worship here. Hands down, I get to visit churches, uh, big churches, small churches. And man, we have, I think, hands down, the best worship uh, in town. And, And I love the heart, the spirit. These guys are my friends. I like hanging out with them. And I love them. And, you know, we have Kid Venture next door. And, you know, you're sitting here because your kids are being taken care of. That's a team. And everything that's set up, everything that's taken down from the salsa and the burritos that are sold in the mornings for youth and for Haiti, uh, and to the to the setup tables, to the information table, to the worship guides, to the greeters. It's a team. 
And I love how Paul never made it about himself. He says, man, we're a team. So at the end of every letter, he always gives a shout out from the team. And then he says this. He ends with this. Everything we do here is a team effort. And then he says, the grace of the Lord Christ be with you, uh, be with your spirit. And that was the end of the letter. Very short. He's reading this. I see Philemon reading this. He breaks the seal. He reads this little note. Onesimus is standing there in front of him with his head down. He hands him the note. And he's reading it. And then he says, grace and peace. Was it grace? Yeah. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. And he folds it and he looks up at Onesimus. And we don't know what happens. The Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't tell us what happens. Now, I think that's uh, on purpose because I think it gives us a chance to, uh, to kind of struggle with it. You know, it gives us a chance to kind of, um, there is no closure. You know, we don't know what the outcome of the relationship is. Uh, what, we don't know what Philemon's answer was uh, or what he did. We don't know because there, there's no bow at the end of the story. There's no, and they lived happily ever after as best friends. And he became like his son. Doesn't say that. If there was closure, we might read the book and go, well, that was nice, the end. But I like how the Bible does this a lot. The Bible doesn't wrap up everything in a nice bow. In fact, instead, it leaves us with questions. The Bible often leaves us with wondering. The Bible leaves us with things to wrestle with and and to think about it and, and to wonder how we would answer if we were in that position. Philemon is our story to live. How would we respond and how will we respond to those who hurt us, to those who stole from us, to those who have done wrong to us, people who we have trusted who deserve punishment? How will we respond? Not every letter made it into the Bible, but this little 25 verse little postcard made it into the Bible. Why? Because I think it asks us the question, Are we willing to go back to make things right? And are we willing to receive those that come back? So we don't know the story and how it ends, but I want to give you a few highlights from this story. We're going to have to go pretty quick because we got an early movie. So I'm going to ask you, Sean, if you want to check with the audio, because I have a feeling in two minutes we might have some special music. I want you to want you thinking about this. This is a living picture of a prodigal son, a living picture of mercy and grace. He asked Philemon to give mercy, and he asked him to give grace. He said, mercy is not getting what you deserve. And he said, Philemon, don't punish him the way he deserves. And then he said, but give him grace. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. And he says, lavish on him things that he never deserves. He goes, give him grace, give him mercy. Here's the walk away. A few principles we can learn from this. Number one is that uh, for there to be withdrawals, there must be deposits. He says, so if you consider me a partner, do this favor for me. Do this for me and welcome him as you would me. Paul is asking a big request. He's making a big withdrawal. But you see, over the years, he had deposited heavily into Philemon's life. He had led him to Christ, mentored him, discipled him. 
And even with the withdrawal, Paul is making a deposit of encouragement in life into him. And, he, and I have a question for you. This is a real sin. Are you depositing into people's lives? Because there's basically three things that happen every time you talk to somebody. One of three things. Either you are depositing into somebody's life or you are withdrawing from people's life or you are balancing an account in people's lives. Let me put it this way. Sometimes uh, when you get to, when I get with some of you, I just feel like I'm just a richer man because of you. I feel like when some of you, when I get around you, I feel like I am just poured into. There's a deposit of life given to me. And if you were to ever come to me, you, you know, I have got you, right? And then there are some people, not anybody here, of course, but there are some people that when they come to me, they're just taken from me. They're just withdrawing emotionally. They're just uh, taking and, and asking and, and pulling. And you know what? As long as I've got plenty of deposits in my life, I'm okay, right? Because if, if my wife, my family, my friends, and my kids are depositing into me, then, then when anybody comes to me, as long as my account is full, and filled relationally, then I can make those withdrawals and I can deposit into your life out of my life. And then there's the third kind of person. Those are the high fives, fist bump, balance the account. You know, they don't do anything. They don't deposit, they don't withdraw. They just balance the account. So I got a question for you. Are you a deposit, a withdrawal or a balancer? Because God has called us to be people who deposit into people's lives. Now there's going to be time when you need a withdrawal and you might go to a family member. You might come to me. But a healthy relationship is going to be one where you're going to be able to get a withdrawal without somebody flipping out on you. You know what I mean? So here comes Paul. He's depositing, depositing into Philemon. And when the time comes, he says, I need a favor. Because he's made the deposits, he's got to withdraw emotionally. So are you making more deposits than withdrawals? Just a thought. Here's number two in this is that true repentance involves restitution. You see, when a life is truly has a change of heart, there's a true desire to make the wrongs right. Onesimus was coming back to make things right. He had taken away, you know, he could have said, you know what, God forgives me, I don't need to go back to Philemon. You know, Paul, why don't I just stay with you? I mean, what he doesn't know won't hurt him, right? What if he doesn't forgive me you know what, you know, what does it harm if I just stay here and keep helping you out, Paul? Why do I need to go back to Philemon? Because he needed to go back and not just make it right, but he needed to make amends. He needed to go back. You see, that's why Paul says he left useless and now he's coming back living up to his name, useful. Now he's coming back and he's going to be that much more valuable to you. I like in Luke 19, the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. I remember that story when you were a Bible kid or in Sunday school, you know, uh, maybe you've never heard that story. There's a guy, a tax collector. Nobody liked him, but he was a little man. And Jesus had a crowd following him. And this little man, this little tax collector that nobody liked, climbs up into a tree to see Jesus. Jesus sees Zacchaeus, this wee little man, and says, hey, Zac, I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight, be ready. So he shows up at Zacchaeus' house. He pours out his heart, his love, and his message to Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus says this in verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up during the dinner, and he said to the Lord, to Jesus, he said, Look, Lord, here and now, 
I give half of my possessions to the poor and I have cheated and anybody I've cheated out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. He says, salvation is really his because he's moving in the opposite direction. You see, you know, you see true repentance when you try to make amends. Some of you, you've just said sorry to your wife. You've said sorry to your husband. You've said sorry to your kids, but you've not changed. You've not made amends. You have not moved in a different direction. You've not tried to make right the wrongs. See, true repentance involves a heart for restitution. And we see this all through the Bible, even in, in the great prodigal story of Luke 15. The prodigal son receives his inheritance, runs off to the big city, blows it, and he becomes a broke man. He's poor, and he's he's feeding the pigs, and he says, I'm going back to my dad's house. At least maybe I can be a servant. He gets there, and he says, Dad, let me at least work for you. He doesn't say, Dad, here I am. Can I have my old house back, my old room back? You didn't turn it into a gym, did you? It's not a workout room or a music room, is it, Dad? It's not, a, it's not like a craft room or a sewing room, right, Mom? He says, can I come back? No, he said, Dad, just let me work for you. There's a sense of restitution in a broken man. And we see this in this story. By the way, do you think Paul took that money? Or, sorry, do you think Philemon took that money? Do you think Philemon said, yeah, Paul, here's how much it is. He wrote him a check. You know, Paul had to write him a check. He says, uh, uh, Paul, quick, <laughs> telegraph to Paul. It's about $20,000. If you could deposit that into my P.O. box, that would be great. He probably didn't do that. You don't see the prodigal fathers uh, say, yes, son, come on in. We're going to have you put you back to work for about, you know, three years until you pay off that inheritance you blew. He says, no, man, let's, let's have a party. Let's, let's kill the best calf and let's, let's invite our friends and let's celebrate. Those who need restitution may not accept it, but you should have the heart to offer and pursue it. Here's the third thing about this story that jumps out is that forgiven people should forgive people. He says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. He says, I'm going to pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very soul. Not to mention that you'd be going to hell if it weren't for me. He says, he says, Phil, I want you to remember where you came from. I want you, Philemon, just to think for just a moment what you came from to get to this place. He brought up Phil's salvation. He says, remember, you have been forgiven. You were running and you were a slave to sin. You were a prodigal, but you were given grace and mercy. So I want you to give it to me. If you've been given another chance, how can you not do the same? Here's a few verses. Matthew 16, his, uh, one of his disciples says, hey, you know what? John's just bugging the heck out of me. And I've, six times I've told him to leave me alone. How many times should I forgive him, Jesus? <laughs> It's really not about John. We don't know who it's about, but I can imagine they're like walking around. Man, these guys are driving me crazy, Jesus. How many times? He's on number six. Is seven times enough to forgive him? And Jesus said, no, seven times seven. He's like, all right, 149. All right, I'm counting down. You got 143 times, John. No, he basically, Jesus is saying, whatever number you come up with, multiply it. 
because there is no end to the forgiveness that we are to give to each other. And then he goes into this parable of, of, a, of an unmerciful servant. Jesus gives a story about a servant who forgave a master who forgave a servant of about a million dollars worth of debt in uh, the equivalent of today's money. And then this servant goes out and tortures and beats a person who owes him a small amount of money. The master tracks down this unmerciful servant and then throws him in prison and tortures him for the rest of his life. And Jesus says, you know what? Don't be that unmerciful servant because you have been forgiven much. Matthew 7, 2 For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We're always to have in view God's treatment of us. It is to be the determining factor in how we treat others. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, that is the power of a forgiven life. The power of the cross is that you now have the ability to forgive. Doesn't matter what the grievance, doesn't matter what the hurt, doesn't matter what the pain, doesn't matter what that person has done. If you have known and experienced and have the grace of the power of the cross, you have the power to forgive. You have that power through Christ. The Lord's Prayer, even, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We often forget the part where it says, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then Jesus tacks off that prayer with this. He says, after that prayer, he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Flip it around. If you do not forgive people that sin against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Remember, you're never more like God than when you forgive. Psalm 19.11 said, It is the glory of man to overlook a transgression. This is not about ignoring, but acknowledging and releasing a debt. So some of you are sitting here and you're like, I don't like what I'm hearing because I'm angry at somebody right now. See, when we do wrong, we need to make a right. And when we've been wronged, we need to let it go. See, the Bible was not written for the other guy. It was written for you. And if you are a Philemon, you need to let it go. And if you are an Onesimus, you need to make a right. And here's the fourth thing I want to begin to wrap this up. Number four is that when you let go of a grudge, you release God's grace. He says, I am confident of your obedience. And I write to you knowing that you will do even more. Then I ask, see, there's a joy to be had and a joy to be shared when you let go of pain. The freedom of forgiveness that you give is most often a freedom that you receive. And when you release a grudge, when you release bitterness, when you release some click in your brain, when you see them or think of them, something, you know, some of you guys, you have somebody like that. That when you think of them, you're like, ugh. They come into a party. They're coming to a family event. They, you see them at church. God forbid. You go, I'm, you're just angry. You got a grudge. So the Bible says, man, when you release a grudge, you release God's grace. You're walking in forgiveness. You're being like Christ. When you choose to hold on, you harm your heart and it rots away your soul. Proverbs 14 says, bitterness is rottenness to your bones. It's like eating rat poison and then waiting for the rats to die. 
And some of you are like, I'm just going to hold this because I'm mad and they're mean and they don't deserve forgiveness and I don't like them. Oh, look at the way they look. Look at the face. <laughs> like some of you, they just they didn't do anything. You've got a past issue and you just look at their face. You just think you've got this thing in your head and you're eating poison. It's rotting away at your soul. First Peter 3, 9 says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but on the contrary, instead repay evil with a blessing. Because to this you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. See, when you release a grudge, when you bless others, you are receiving and unlocking God's blessing in your life. When you forgive, you unlock grace. Some of you right now have someone who has hurt you and you do not want to forgive. You might be thinking, well, my Onesimus is still in Rome. He didn't come home. My Onesimus never came back and asked for forgiveness. My Onesimus, he came back and asked for forgiveness, and then he did it again. And then he, then he did it again. And then she did it again. And then he did it again, or she did it again. And What do I do? My Onesimus, isn't great. My Onesimus doesn't have a, a soft, humble, broken heart. What do I do? Well, I cannot tell you what to do, but I can tell you who to look to. Consider Jesus for while we were yet sinners, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. Whether they own up to the consequences or not, you can trust, or maybe, or whether you can trust them or not, you can trust the Lord. And either way, you are not to walk in bitterness because when you release a grudge, you release God's grace. Here's the last thing, and I want to end with this thought right here. And that is, there is an Onesimus in each one of us. He says, receive him and charge it to my account. I want you to hear this for just a second. Have you ever, okay, let's just show our hands. We're all grown-ups now. How many of you ever ran away from home? Isn't that crazy? Look at that. Look around. That's crazy. I thought it was kind of crazy. All right, raise your hand. You've ever ran away from home. All right, how many of you, if you didn't, put it up high if you ran away from home. If you have come, if you came back home, put your hand down. If you went back home. All right. Most of you brought, put your hand down. That means you, you came back home. Uh, there's at least at some point in some kids' lives, uh, sometimes where they, they think that somehow they can make it better on their own, right? That they can, you know, they, they, they get their stuff together. They get a backpack or some of you, you slip out in the night. My brother ran away a lot. And, uh, I mean, a lot. And he was always getting in trouble. And one time he ran away. We lived in South Bend, Indiana. And one time we got a, he, he would always like two weeks later, like, can you come get me? You know, like, he was like, cause he was, he was sick of sleeping on some guy's floor and, and not having anything to eat or not having clean clothes. And so he crawled back home and then he'd get mad again and he'd run away again. One time he called us from Chicago. He said, can you come and get me? <laughs> Now, I don't know what my parents' uh, response was, my mom's response, my stepdad, but they, he ended up back at our house that weekend. They went to Chicago, and they picked him up. You know, sometimes we run away, and we don't realize uh, really what we're running from. And sometimes we don't realize that maybe we've never actually packed the bag and left, but in our heart, we're all running away. I want you to realize this. The profound reality of this letter is that we are all runaways. We are all fugitives. We are all that prodigal. We have all wronged God. 
And we have all run from our kind and loving master. Every one of us has gone our own way. And we all have an unpayable debt called sin that we cannot, no matter how hard we work, ever pay it back. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin, the wages, the money, the cost of sin is death. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and we've all fallen short. We've all run away from God's requirements. Our debt, like Onesimus, cannot be ignored. It must be satisfied because sin racks up an amazing bill. And all of us, like Onesimus, have an unpayable debt and we all have an undeserved substitute. His name is Jesus because like Paul, Jesus receives us and he accepts us and he forgives us and he sends us home. And he pays our debt, a debt that we could not pay. And we all too, like Onesimus, have an unbelievable payment. It's the cross. Like Paul, Jesus says to the father on the cross, father, charge it to my account. I'll pay the debt. His last words on the cross were paid in full. It is finished. Charge it to me, father, charge it to me. Colossians 2.13 says this, then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. The phrase there is the same phrase charged to my account that Paul uses. And this is the same place that he wrote Colossians the same day he wrote Philemon. They're going to the same places. So I can imagine the church is reading Colossians and they're remembering and they're hearing about what happened with Onesimus and Philemon and they're going, this is our story. This is our story. Jesus canceled the debt so that we could now be a guest with the master in heaven. And like the prodigal son, there is a celebration awaiting for us when we come home. We don't know the outcome of the relationship But history tells us a little bit about what might have happened. There is hope Philemon made the right choice. Some ancient records tell us a little bit about what happened to Onesimus. A few decades later, in Ephesus, just about 100 miles away from Colossae, the place where Philemon became a Christian, Ephesus was the largest church in uh, Asia Minor there. It was a church where Timothy, who wrote, uh, two letters were written to him. He was the pastor. History tells us that when Timothy stepped down or passed on, the pastor who took his place was Onesimus. History tells us that there was a pastor named Onesimus who was prayed in and took the place of Timothy. And we have one document by an ancient church leader named Ignatius who mentions this pastor in Ephesus by name. And he speaks of how grateful he is and how wonderful of a pastor he is. And he says this at one point in the letter. When he speaks of Onesimus, he says, his love is beyond words. And I can't help but think of Onesimus, who experienced love beyond words, became someone who now loves beyond words. And I'm reminded of that story in Luke chapter 7, where a a young prostitute woman sees Jesus at dinner and she drops at his feet and begins to weep over his feet 
and dry his feet with her tears. And Jesus says this, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Now, I don't know about you, but as a slave who's been forgiven, as someone who is dead in my sins, who is now forgiven, I want to love. The response is forgiveness and grace and love and mercy. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.